We're in the second week of a series that we're calling The Church. And uh, we started last week with a, uh, a bit of a hardball message. And uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, pull any punches and uh, gave the truth as, as I feel like we need to hear it. And uh, so this week, uh, I'm going to lighten things up, give you an encouraging message uh, so that all of you will come back. Because uh, you're coming back here today just to see if, if he goes like that one more time. He's got one more chance, right? So we're here, I'm here to lift you up. I'm here to build you up and uh, give you an encouraging word. Uh, you, the inspiration behind the series is that you've often heard that the church is, is uh, not a building. It's a group of people. And that's true. Uh, but a lot of times, in my experience, we just sort of leave it at that. And, and we don't go and ask further questions about what are these people to do or, or what are these defining marks of, of these people that are called the church. And so we're using that truth that the church is not a building but a group of people we're using that truth as a foundation to build on uh, over the course of this series it's a six-week series it's going to take us all the way to easter sunday and so we encourage you um, to be here every single week now let me recap uh, last week jesus uh, we we read in matthew uh, chapter 16 verse 18 that uh, jesus said on this rock i will build my church And uh, we learned several things from that. The first thing that we learned is that the rock that Jesus is building his church on is begins in a moment with that specific confession from Peter, but more, but on a larger and and perhaps kind of more profound level, Jesus is building a community, a, a global community around the confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, and and that means that there's inherent unity in that uh, that that we shouldn't draw all sorts of divisional lines that really aren't there. Uh, That there's this inherent unity to anyone that has professed faith in Christ as the Messiah and the Son of the living God. And so it it has this sort of unity of this global community. Now the other thing that uh, we learned is that it's his church. Jesus says, I will build my church. And so we talked about three ways that we deny that it's his church. And uh, we called it church blocking, church hopping, and church stopping. And uh, that all sounds very cute, but it was hardball, okay? And, uh, but uh, those are three ways that we deny that it's his church. Uh, if you missed the message, you can go online and listen to it. Uh, we encourage you to do that, uh, to get caught up on the series. Uh, but that's really where we were at last week. And, and, then, and then at the end, Jesus says, this community that I'm building and, and that I'm forging around this confession uh, is ultimately my responsibility to protect. It's my responsibility to build it, is what Jesus says. I will build this community. And then the gates of hell... Regardless of what comes against this, I will protect this community. And so we talked about how we can move forward in great faith, even in the midst of oppression, even in the midst of persecution, the church will continue to thrive because it's his church and he's promised to protect it. Um, So that's where we were last week. And uh, today, uh, I want to talk to you about how to come to church. Right? I mean, we come here and, and we come every week and, and some of you have been coming to church just for years and years and years. I'm in that boat. I was in the church when I was just a few days old and I've never been out of the church. You know, I mean, it's just some of us have been going to church for so long that I wonder if we just need a reminder this morning 
as to why we come to church or, or how we're supposed to come to church, okay? And, and so I've got a really short passage of Scripture from the life of David uh, that I want to share with us. Uh, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, you've got some Bibles in front of you. Uh, but let's open our Bibles to Psalm chapter 18. Uh, and I'm just going to read the first three verses. Uh, the first three verses. And uh, this is, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about this message on how we should come to church, okay? Uh, so Psalm 18, uh, 1 through 3 says this. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, and he's my fortress, and he's my deliverer. And my God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. Or some translations say the strength of my salvation. And he's my stronghold. And I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. And I have been saved from my enemies. Now that's a pretty encouraging psalm, right? I mean, right off the bat, we we read this. And even if you read on in the psalm, I mean, David is busy giving all sorts of praise to God. He's proclaiming the character of God. He's making sort of all these declarations on who he knows God to be. And so if we're going to take this, this sort of David's way and model that he gives us, the first thing that I want to say to you about coming to church is that I hope that you come to church every single week with an attitude of celebration. Celebration. Because I've said this before and I'm positive that I'll say it again. The Easter is not a one-time event on the church calendar. Every single Sunday is Easter Sunday. Every single week we come together to celebrate that Christ is no longer dead. That he got up from the grave. That in him we have brand new life. Right? Isn't that the truth? We come to celebrate God on Sunday morning. We, we ought to come with, a, with an attitude and a heart of joy and celebration. And, and listen to me. I know that sometimes you come here and you feel like your life is falling apart. I know that sometimes you come here and you're trying to experience a little bit of heaven because all week your life has been hell. I understand that. And I'm not trying to belittle what you face throughout the week. But let me tell you, when we gather together as a community, regardless of what is happening in our life, regardless of the circumstances that we face and the mountains that we're staring right into and wondering if we're ever going to be able to get to the other side. We have a Jesus, the the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who has died and has been resurrected, and therefore we have reason to celebrate. Are you with me? And I love it when we come together and we sing these opening songs. And, and I've, I've loved seeing this community begin to embrace an attitude of freedom and worship and, and celebrating God through, through claps and shouts of praise. Listen to me. I, I'm not trying to encourage us to be all charismatic and crazy, but it's all good to clap and to shout for what God has done for us. Amen. Can you give a little clap and shout for that? I mean, God is good. God is good. And we come with an attitude of celebration. And so we sing songs and we play music that has a little bit of energy to it, a little bit of spice to it, a little bit of to it. You know what I mean? Okay? We come with glad hearts and with celebration. Great job, Ben, strumming that electric guitar. Boy, that, that just blesses me, right? We come with an attitude of celebration. Now, some of you are immediately saying, yeah, but... What about reverence? We ought to come with quiet hearts. We ought to come with reverence. 
Listen to me. Let, me. let me give you a little bit of perspective on reverence. Because I understand that. And I'm with you. It is important to come to church, not only in celebration, but with reverence. We, we have to walk this line of realizing that we don't come and, and celebrate Jesus, who's our buddy. I mean, I think sometimes in, in church culture, in the name of celebration... We, we, we sort of degrade Jesus into sort of like my homeboy. He's my buddy, right? And, and Jesus is a friend that sticks closer to a brother, but he's not your buddy. When we come into the presence of the Messiah, the son of the living God, we come into the courts of a king, not your buddy. And listen to this, we come in, into the courts in the presence of a king and we have to realize that. And so we come in celebration with glad hearts, but in awe and inspiration of what Jesus has done on the cross. We brought the cross back from the, from the back of the church to the front of the church. You notice that, right? And we did that because the cross should not sit in the background of your life. And we did that so that it would be rather invasive, sort of in the way. Because you cannot ignore the cross of Jesus. And the cross and the message of the gospel is a bit invasive, is it not? It's a bit in your face. And so we wanted to bring the cross in your face. And so we come in the presence of the king, the creator of the universe. But listen to me. This king, this one in whom we, we must look at with awe and reverence, and, in, and being inspired by what he's done, this king knows your name. And this king has invited you to his party. It's not a king that, that, is, that is distant and unfamiliar. It's, it's, he's not a king that, that we can't approach. He's a king who has sent you a personal invitation to a celebration every seven days to celebrate what he has done on the cross for us. He knows you intimately. He loves you radically. And he said, I'm throwing a party and it's happening at local churches all around the world who profess me as the Messiah and the son of the living God. So go and throw a party. And become with glad hearts. Because I'm the king. And I deserve your reverence. But I also have invited you to my party. There's no reason to be standoffish. There's no reason to be ashamed. You come with glad hearts for what I have done for you. And so we come to the king's party. Are you with me? We don't go to our best friend's party. We don't go to our, our buddy's party. We come to the king's party when we come to church. And we ought to come with glad hearts and with celebration. Let me put it to you this way. Think of the difference in how we attend a marriage and a funeral. Right? When you go to a marriage, it's like you come with glad hearts celebrating the, the union of this man and this woman who love each other. God has brought them together. They're committed to one another to live life together. And so we come with, in celebration and with glad hearts. When we go to a funeral, we come in quiet reverence out of the respect of the one who is no longer with us. And sometimes I see people come to church more like it's a funeral than a marriage. 
We come in quiet respect. But we come in quiet respect for the one whom we believe is no longer with us. Right? But if we come in in still awe, inspiration, even quiet respect, but with joy and with celebration because God, the scripture talks about all the time how God is, is making this community, the global church, his bride. When we come together as a community, even as, as ministry is expressed in this local place, in this place called Emmaus Road, we come together to celebrate the marriage of God's community to Jesus, the, the head of this community. That, that, that he is the bride, we are the bridegroom. Other way around, other way around, okay? We're the bridegroom, we're the bride, he's the bridegroom, okay? So we come each Sunday to a wedding, not a funeral. And so there's a place and a time during this celebration for quiet reflection, for reverence before the king. But let us not, in the name of reverence, miss out on the celebration. And in fact, we have built-in time of reverence and response in every single one of the services we do. Where after the message, we quiet our hearts before God. And we say, God, what are you speaking to me about? What are you doing in my life? What are you asking me to do? Let me take communion. Let me respond to you while the song is being played of how I can go forth from this place, this gathering of this community into the, the, the broader community of Fort Collins and northern Colorado that, you can, that I can be used by you and that you can work in me so that you might work through me. So we have this sort of built-in reverence in every single Sunday. And so the first way that we ought to come to church that we get from, from David's example is that we ought to come with glad hearts. We ought to come with celebration of what God has done. And so I would say, church, let's continue. While music is being played that is joyful and proclaiming the goodness of God, may we join in that chorus. May you sing loudly. May you, may you clap, raise your hands, give shouts of praise for all that he's done and who he is, okay? And let's come each Sunday to a marriage and to a party that the king has invited us to. You with me? Can we do that? That's the first way. Come with hearts of celebration. Now, we have to get a little bit of context because the the question immediately arises, um, what is the cause of all this? All this racket? All this celebration? What's the cause? Because, I mean, let's just be honest, in in a a room this size with this amount of people, there's some of you that you're not quite convinced about the goodness of God. And and you're not quite convinced that, that God is deserving of celebration. And you've experienced some things in your life that have made you not stand in awe and inspiration of the cross, but rather shake your fist at God. And so we have to get a little bit of context in what, in what, what causes David to get all, all excited about who God is. And in the Psalms, many of them have a description before, the, before verse 1. Have you ever seen those in your Bible? Or have you ever read them? Uh, they, they help give a little bit of context to the psalm and, and what inspired this, this psalm, which, by the way, psalms are just ancient songs. The, these, the psalms are, are not only read in, in ancient culture, but they're sung. Uh, these, these are the hymns of the earliest church that we're reading when we read the psalms. 
And, and so we get a little bit of context of, of what inspired these songs. And I want to read the description of Psalm 18 to you to give us a little bit of, of context for this, this ruckus praise that David is giving to the Lord. He says this, Psalm 18, the description before verse 1 says, For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, meaning David is the author, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now let me give you a little bit of a historical context. David was anointed as the future king of Israel. Israel is, is, is the, the nation of God that, that uh, God has raised up for the purposes of bringing about the Messiah out of the line of this, this group of people. And so Israel is the nation that belongs to God. And uh, David, very early in his life, was anointed as the future king of Israel. And as he grew up, he became very popular. Uh, he had a high approval rating for the future king, right? And, and so people are, are singing, uh, saying, you know, David has, has killed his ten thousands, but Saul, the current king, only his thousands. And so they're comparing the future king and all of his, his accomplishments to the current king and all that he has not accomplished. Sounds Pretty familiar, and will sound more familiar when we get closer and closer to November and election time. Are you with me? We're always praising all that the person that's rising up, and then it's so easy to hate the leader. Let me encourage you today, politically, as a side note, uh, don't, don't spend time bashing on the, the president or the person in charge. Uh, their job is very difficult. His job is very difficult. So I don't know what you think about him politically, uh, but it would be far better use of your time to pray for him rather than to bash him, okay? It's so easy to, to crack on the guy in charge. That's, that's a side note. That was free of charge. You, know, <laughs> you don't have to pay me anything for that. And so Saul... The current king, who's kind of getting, you know, demolished on the polls, is uh, he's starting to get angry. And he gets so angry that he makes efforts and attempts to kill David. He becomes to hate David and, and makes efforts to kill him. But every single time, as you read this story through First and Second Samuel, every single time the Lord delivers David from the hand of his enemy Saul and his efforts to kill him. And so out of what God has done to protect him from his enemies, to rescue him from his enemies, David writes these, this song and these words. These words of, of tremendous praise. So you might, you might say, what in the world is all this celebration about? You know, the end of a song and... People get all clappy and shouting and what's all that? Are, they, are these people, have they lost it? Are they, are, am I in the loony bin or what's going on? Right? We celebrate because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. That Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, came to us to rescue us from our enemy. The enemy of our life who would get us trapped in sin, many times because of, of the original sin that we all are born into, our heart, unless it's transformed, is our own enemy. But God, 
in his tremendous love for us, provided a rescue for us through this person, this son of God, who lived a sinless life, who showed us a great model for us to live, but is not just a model, not just our friend, but our savior. He came to rescue us and has indeed rescued us through the cross and the resurrection. That he took the entire sin of the world, past, present, future sin of the world upon himself, paid the penalty of that sin on the cross, and then defeated death through the resurrection so that anyone that that would come to know him through faith might be able to experience, might be able to taste the goodness of God, the, the goodness of his new creation that is bursting forth right into the middle of this one, that we might begin to experience Experience this thing called the kingdom of God, which is, which is not a way just of talking about heaven when we die, but the kingdom of God, meaning God's presence right here and right now and his ability to transform us and to shape our hearts that when through faith we, we accept this rescue, we are brought into a brand new life, a brand new perspective, a brand new hope. We are made brand new, which is what we're going to be talking about at Easter, by the way. Eight weeks of celebrating the newness that we have in Christ And so it causes and it rises up in us and it sort of boils out of us this celebration, this gladness, this joy that despite what we might be facing, despite the hell in our life that we're going through, we realize that that if God were to do nothing else for us, he has already done enough. Are you there in your life? Are you there in your faith that if God were to never do anything else for you, could you say with great confidence that he has already done enough because of Jesus? That because I've been rescued through faith that he need to do no more. Church, we celebrate because of who God is and what he's done. We proclaim his character because he of what his because of his work. If you want to know what someone will do, look at what they have done. Right? You're interviewing somebody for a job. You start asking about specific examples of what they've done and how they've acted in previous jobs because that will tell you precisely what they're going to do in this job. And so we we know the character of God and his goodness is revealed to us based on what he has already done. And so we look to the past for hope and, and, uh, for hope and commitment for the future. We look at what God has done, which gives us an assurance of who he is, that we might walk boldly into the future that he has for us, regardless of what we might face. And that causes in us a celebration. Part of what we do on Sunday morning and part of our goal as we plan these services is to retell the story of the gospel. Through music, through the, through the preaching, through other elements that we might work in, whether it be video or, or anything other, any other kind of creative element, what our goal is, is to remind you the story of the gospel. Because let's all be honest, in the busy world that we live in, it is so easy for us to get caught up in responsibility, in, in busyness, in all, in all the distractions of this world. It's so easy for us to lose sight, even in a week's time, of what God has done. 
It's so easy for us if something happens during the week, if a friend gives us a discouraging word or if a friend hurts us or or if we experience all these kinds of things, then it's so easy for us to lose sight of how deeply God loves us. It's so easy for us to lose touch of how God loves us. And so we come on back every seven days to rehear and for us to retell the story of the gospel of Jesus who loves you deeply, of, of Jesus who has died for you. Everything that we do is about Jesus. We're not here to offer you some sort of empty higher morality. We're not here to just teach you how to not flip the person off on College Avenue after they cut you off. We're not here to do that. We're here to tell you about Jesus who will transform your heart so that you don't flip the person off. Right? The morality is an overflow of our relationship with Jesus. And so we start there. We retell the story of the gospel to remind us to set our hearts back right, to get us back on track. And you think that, you don't, that there's no damage done if you miss a Sunday. Be here every week. <laughs> and bring your friends. We know who God is based on what he's done. And we gather together to retell the story of the gospel. To remind us of God's great love. And so, we remember first, and then we celebrate and proclaim. And listen, based on on what God did for David, and Lord's action on his behalf, David all of a sudden proclaims these things. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's my shield. He's my stronghold. I wonder, could you echo the words of David today in your own life? So many of us come to try to celebrate. And we find that we can't celebrate. That there's difficulty in that. And we say, you know what, I just can't do it. Now this isn't the full answer, but I wonder if part of that reason is because we haven't first remembered. That if we will come to church first, see I switched these, I did them backwards. See that you catching on to that? We gotta first remember and then we celebrate. So we come to church with hearts that are ready to receive the retelling of the gospel. And then out of that is born this celebration, this overflow, this proclaiming the goodness and the character of God. And some of you are not convinced. You've doubted whether you, you doubt whether God is good. You question God's sovereignty. And I realize that we cannot understand all the ways of God that there are things that we may never have answers to. And that there are situations that God somehow allows in your life that may cause you to shake your fist at Him. But we can always go back to this tremendous truth of what Scripture makes clear over and over and over again, that God sent His only Son to die for you. That if you will accept this rescue by faith, that your life will be made brand new. Not that all your troubles will go away, 
Not that, that Jesus is some sort of blue pill that you swallow and then you don't remember what went on. But that in the midst of the trouble, we have a hope. We have a friend who sticks closer to a brother. We have a rock. You know, I wonder that if David described God as his rock, as a way of, of talking about the, the constancy of God, the consistency of God. That regardless of all these other variables that are moving in and out of our life, that, that things are always seem to be changing and things are always fluid, there's, there's one thing, one person that continually remains the same, that despite my faithfulness or lack thereof, is always faithful. And it is God, and He is my rock. I don't know what you've been through that has caused you to hate God or question his sovereignty or question his goodness. But may I proclaim to you today on the authority of God's word that God is good and that he is a rock. He is constant. He is faithful when you are not. He is present when you don't know it or when you can't see it. He is working when there seems to be no evidence. He is working. He is good. He is constant. He is on a mission of redemption in this world and in your life. That if you will listen and tune your ear to him, that he will begin working as he already is, and you'll begin working with him to begin to bring about this tremendous redemption that he wants to do in your life. David, my rock, my strength, my stronghold, my shield. Based on what God has done, we can come to church as a community proclaiming things about his character that we know. Are you with me? We remember, and then we celebrate. There's a third part that we have to do. And it kind of is snuck in here in the psalm. But David says, listen to this. He, he says, I love you, Lord, my strength. He's my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. Or some translations say, in whom I will trust. The third way that we have to come to church, the way to come to church is first to ready your heart to remember the cause of the gospel and the story of the gospel. And once we've readied our heart to remember that through the song and through the, through the worship and, and through preaching and through all these different elements, we're reminded because our role to you is to retell that story. And so we're reminded and it causes in us a celebration, a, a celebration that is at the same time reverent but joyful. It, the, 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 sometimes we try to separate those two and call them different things. We can be quiet in celebration or we can be loud in celebration. We can be reverent and celebratory at the same time. So based on what God has done, we celebrate who he is. But then what David says is he essentially gives a response. Because I've remembered what God has done for me, I will proclaim his goodness in celebration and then I will respond in a particular way based on who I know God to be. God is my rock. He's my shield. He's my stronghold. And so I will take refuge in him. And so I will place my trust in him. 
This idea of taking refuge is, is essentially this. It is a shelter from danger or a place of safety. David is saying, no matter what I face, whatever plans my enemies have for me, I will find a place of safety and rest in the Lord who is my rock. There elicits in him, based on who God has done, what God has done and who he is, a certain response. And David's personal walk here gives us great instruction for how to come to church. For how to come to church. We remember. We celebrate. We respond. We remember what God has done. Sometimes... Sometimes I hear people um, say this, and I, and I can't hardly wrap my mind around this, but I, I hear people say, you know, I didn't go to the, I stopped going to that church because the only thing the pastor ever talks about is Jesus. <laughs> I mean, like seriously, like every single week they present the gospel. And I want something deeper than that. We're going to talk about Jesus every week, just so you know. Here's the thing about Jesus. We cannot reach his depth. We we cannot get to all the riches of the truth of God. That every single week we could talk about Jesus and never have enough to talk about or to explore. There's always more we can learn and know about who God is in Jesus Christ. Okay? So we're going to talk about him every week. We're going to retell the story of the gospel to you through song, through, through communion, through uh, the message. All of these ways, we're going to be retelling the story of the gospel. And it's my role to do it in a way that can challenge the person who's been going to church for years and years and yet inspire the person who is not yet a person of faith. And that's my commitment to you is to do my best to do that. But we come ready to celebrate what God has done, to remember him. And so I would encourage you as you come to church ready to remember, do your best to minimize the distractions in your life on Sunday morning. And I know there's a lot. I know there's a lot going on, but I would encourage you to come with your heart ready to remember and to celebrate and do whatever you can to minimize the distractions in your life. And there's one person that wants to distract you more than anything in the world, and that's the enemy of your life. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm going to give some amens here. How many of you have had the experience where Sunday morning is like the worst morning of the week? Right? Like... Like you get lost on your way to church and you're like, how do I get lost on, you know, and, you're, and then you get all mad. Someone cuts you off and you want to you want to flip them off and you don't because you're on your way to church and you have an Emmaus Road sticker on the back of your car. <laughs> so thank you for not flipping them off. Right. Those of you that are couples, how many of you have your knockdown, drag out fights on the way to church? Huh? 
Happens all the time. The kids on Sunday morning just lose it. Like they just go psycho. You're like, I don't even know who these kids are anymore. And it's like on Sunday morning, right? And it is just like bizarre what the enemy is trying to distract you with on Sunday morning. Because he knows that if you come with a heart ready to receive him, ready to receive God and what he wants to do in your life, there's nothing the enemy can do. And so he's going to try to distract you and he's going to make Sunday morning just miserable for you. So to the best of your ability, regardless of what distractions you may be facing, come ready with your heart to remember what God has done. And then come ready to celebrate and proclaim his character. Right? Sing along. Sing along. I don't know the tune. You'll catch on to it. It's a new song, and I don't like new songs. Come on now. If we sing it twice, it's not a new song. (laughs) And the scripture says, sing a new song to the Lord. It's good to learn new songs. So sing along. Participate. Raise your hands. Put a smile on your face. Not a fake smile. We're not turning this into like, I'm okay. You're okay. Everything's okay. Okay. (laughs) Right? We're not turning that into this. We're not, we're not turning this community into that. So be authentic, but come ready to, to remember what God has done and then come ready to celebrate Him and proclaim His character and realize that whatever you are facing, you have Christ. And if you have Christ, you have enough. Have you come to that place in your life? That if you have Christ, you have enough. And then come ready to respond. Come ready to respond. In fact, that's the reverence part. Is when we, when we come to the end and we feel like God has spoken to us, He's challenged us, then our reverence to Him, our respect to Him, is to say, you are in fact my King, my Savior, and I'm going to respond in obedience to what you're calling me to do. And we allow you time to do that. I would encourage you to listen and personalize the message each week. I'm, I'm just giving you some practical tips of how to come to church out of this passage. Listen and personalize the message. If you have ever said to yourself, man, I wish so-and-so were here to hear this, I would encourage you to flip that around and say, I'm so glad that I'm here to hear this because God wants to speak to you. So listen and personalize the message. There's a member of our community that every single week by Monday morning, at the latest, I receive an email. And he says, this is how the Lord spoke to me. This is what I'm doing in response. How encouraging is that for me? Not for me to say, oh man, that's an awesome message. (laughs) But for me to say, God, look how you're working in our community. And look how this person is responding in faith. In fact, let me tell you another story of, of, out of this community, and I'll, I'll keep it anonymous, but um, when we gave the message, when I gave the message on, on money and tithing, nobody likes that message. I mean, let's just be honest. You guys are like, I'm here, but I don't want to be here because the pastor's talking about money. I had somebody come up to me right after the message, and they had one of those little offering envelopes, and uh, it was all filled out with the amount, and this person said to me, Um, they showed me the envelope and pointed to the amount. And they said, you know what? This would have been robbing God. And the real check is in the offering. 
and they ripped that envelope. You want to talk about immediate obedience to how God is speaking to you. Like that right there is beautiful. And so we come to church to remember, to celebrate, and to respond. But I wonder how many times, and I'm almost done, guys, I'm almost done. I wonder how many times we miss one of the three. And we just do two of them. Like we celebrate and we proclaim, but we never respond. How many of you are there? You come to church, you're ready, you, you're ready to remember what God has done, and you, you, you celebrate Him, but you, you come to church with an attitude that says, there's nothing new I can learn. I've, I've heard every single sermon there is. And, and so I, we, we never get to the place of true response in our life. And what I would argue is that this leads to an empty faith. Or we've come to the place where we believe we can no longer grow. There's nothing new we can learn. We've heard everything under the sun. I've been going to church for decades. And so I'm here to to remember and I'm here to celebrate. But but I've I've got everything kind of figured out. If that's you today, I I would encourage you that even in this message, there's something that God wants to say to you. I am not the best preacher in the world, but but God has called me to this position. He has called me to speak to this community, and he wants to say something to you through me, regardless of how broken I am, and regardless of how unskilled I might be. God wants to say something to you. This is difficult for me. Because when I go to a church and I'm not the preacher, I don't like it. (laughs) I'm like, man, give me the microphone. This guy is, you know. And uh, the Lord wants to say to me, if you'll listen, I have something for you. If you'll open your heart, I want to say something to you. Regardless of how skilled, unskilled, charismatic, or boring This guy is. I have something for you. How many of us skip the response part? Or we respond, but we haven't really celebrated. Are you there? I mean, you come to church and you remember and you respond, but you're like, man, this celebration stuff, no way. That leads to a boring faith. And you find yourself the joy being sapped out of your relationship with Christ. Because you don't come ready to celebrate what God has done on Sunday morning. We celebrate and we respond. But we have failed to remember. And that leads to a self-righteous faith. If we celebrate and then we respond, but we don't remember And all of a sudden we come to believe that we don't need the Savior. And that leads to self-righteous faith. Folks, when you come to church, I hope that you'll come, right? With a heart ready to proclaim who God is and what He's done. To celebrate Him because of that. And then to respond to Him because of who He is.